You know, what a way to kick the new year off, singing such an awesome, beautiful song. And what I want us to do right now, I want you just to bow your head just for a moment. I'm going to ask Sarah if she would just sing that over us as we pray for this year. And this new year, I pray that you will understand the power that's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that all the heavens were created. It was in the name of Jesus and the power of the resurrection that caused him to get out of the grave. And that same power and that same name is in the house today. And it's in the name of Jesus you have the power to fix your marriage, to break your addiction, to, to God to heal you from that sickness or that illness, to bring the prodigals home. Jesus is in this place and it's in his name and his power and his glory that no matter what we face it's in his name and power to carry us through and my prayer for you today is that you would keep your eyes on Jesus in 2019 that you would focus on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. So come on, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy that's new every day. We are not here by mistake. You woke us up this morning. You gave us breath this morning to come and to praise you. And Father, we've come to the house today expecting to hear from you. And God, we ask you to do what only you can do. That's to open the eyes of our heart that we will see your son, Jesus. For if we will encounter Jesus today, we will not leave this place the same. Father, my prayer is that we will keep our eyes focused on Jesus as we go through 2019. The author and the perfecter of our faith. What a powerful name. What a beautiful name. The name above all names. It's in his name that we ask and we pray. Come on now. And everybody said. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Look at the person sit beside you and say, Happy New Year. Go ahead and say, Happy New Year. Say, look back at them and say, You got perfect attendance at church this year. Come on. Some of you can check that goal off, check that resolution. I was talking to some of the team members earlier in here. I said, you don't need no resolutions. You need a solution. That's the issue, right? You've had a resolution to your problems. You just need a solution for your problems. There's so many of us. I could get up here and talk about how to set goals and how to have new resolutions. But the, honestly, you really just need to, here's a little mini little talk. You got to change your habits. You are the sum of your habits. What you do today will determine who you will be tomorrow. So if if you want to fix you, change you, because we think flipping the calendar is going to make the Oreos go away. Am I preaching to somebody, right? We think flipping the calendar, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to speed walk, right? I mean, we think when we flip a calendar, it changes it. But you got to change your belief before you change your behavior. You got to change your habits. You are the sum of your habits. That was free. It was worth you coming today just for that. Man, I'm excited about this series. This series, we're talking about fresh faith how to have like a fresh faith perspective. And so you may ask the question, what is faith? Like when you think about it, what does faith really mean? The reality is every single one of us practice faith every single day. In fact, you're practicing faith right now. When you, you, you went to bed last night, believing by faith you would get up this morning. Every one of us did. 
In fact, when you walked into this building, you believed by faith these walls would hold this ceiling up. None of you came in expecting the building. You believed by faith when you sat down in that chair, it would hold you up. None of you flipped that chair over, grabbed your calculator, and did like a calculation report of your size and your weight to see if it's going to hold you up. You sat down by faith. We go to restaurants by faith, hoping they put the right food in. You know what I'm saying? We practice faith every single day of our life. Everybody on the planet has a measure of faith. Everyone has faith. You know that? Everyone. The Bible says that God has put in the human heart a measure of faith. Just a little bit, but we only need a little bit for God to do great things for. A measure of faith has been put in every single person's heart. Even people claim to be atheists. They say, I just don't believe all this stuff. They still believe something. They believe by faith something has happened. But we got to look at the Bible definition for this word faith. Now, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 9. I'm using the ESV translation. If you've got your app or your Bible app, you can follow me there. But I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11 because this is the faith chapter. I mean, if you want to talk about faith, read about faith, you need to go to Hebrews chapter 11. It starts out in verse 1, just a moment, talks about the definition, but then it goes into... All the hall of fame of faith. I mean, the men and women of God that if we had like baseball trading cards, their picture would be on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these guys and girls with a hall of fame of faith. You've got David, David and Samuel and Sarah and Rahab and Noah and Abel. I mean, you'll read through Hebrews chapter 11 going, oh my goodness, if I could just be as good as these people. And then you flip to Hebrews chapter 12 and it says, look at all the great witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses, all the people who've gone ahead of us and ran their race by faith. And all before that, he gives us the author, the definition of faith in verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or evidence of things not seen. Let's walk through this one more time. Faith, according to the Bible, is assurance assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or evidence of things not seen. Now, faith means to trust. It means to believe. I put faith in this. I put trust in this. I put belief into whatever it is I'm hoping for. Now, assurance is a property term. It, it means a title deed. It means that as you hold the deed and the title deed to your property, that's the assurance that you have when you believe and hope for what God is about to do in your life. I have proof. It's evidence. I have proof. I have a, a title deed believing with assurance that the things that I hope for, that they will come to pass. Now, we just did a whole entire series on hope, but here's what you got to understand about hope and faith. Faith is the foundation that hope sets on. There is no hope without faith. Faith is the foundation that you set hope on. And then it said it's the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. It's the evidence. Some people said, where's the evidence of your faith? Here's the evidence of your faith. Your faith. Your faith is, I've never seen heaven. Never seen it. Haven't been there yet. Never seen it. But I trust by faith what I have not seen that it's there. How do I know that heaven's real? Because I have faith. Faith is my evidence. It's my conviction that the reality that God has for me. But here's my question. None of you probably don't understand faith or belief or trust. But here's the question. What do you do when faith and doubt collide? What do you do when you believe, but you have unbelief? 
And I know flipping the calendar don't fix your marriage problems. It don't fix your work problems. It don't fix your financial problems. It don't fix your kid problems. don't fix your spouse problems. But what do I do when I say, I believe 2019 that God can fix my marriage. I don't know if he's really going to do it. I believe God can heal me. I don't, it don't look like it because the doctors keep saying. I believe God can save my spouse. And this is the year that God's going to save my spouse. But man, I don't know. They may be too far gone. I believe God's going to bring my wayward kid home. God's going to bring them home and God's going to do a great work in their life. I just don't really know if it's going to happen because I just don't know. What do you do when faith and doubt collide? And here's the question. Can faith and unbelief coexist at the same time? Can I believe and not have unbelief? Can I have faith and still doubt? I am so glad you asked that question this morning. We're going to look at that in Mark chapter 9. So get your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 9. And let me just give you the the context of what's happening so we're all on the same page. In Mark chapter 9, something miraculous takes place. Something crazy takes place. I mean, it was one of those things that you wish that you could have been there to see. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the three of his 12 disciples, his inner circle, and he takes them on top of a mountain. He says, come on, guys, we're going on a hike. We're going to hike on top of this mountain. And they get to the top of a mountain, and guess what happens? Moses and Elijah shows up. This is crazy, because when you're a little boy and you're in the temple, you've been taught about Moses and Elijah your whole entire life. And now these guys are fully grown adults, and they're like, Peter's like, oh my gosh, there's Elijah, and there's Moses, and they're talking to Jesus. And Peter says, this is unbelievable. I don't want to go down in the valley anymore. I want to live on top of the mountain. Isn't it? Wouldn't you like to live on the mountaintop experiences in your life? But here's what I want you to know. You might just be on a mountaintop right now, but there's a valley coming your way. There's always a valley to the next mountain. And Peter's like, let's stay here. I'm going to build a house for Moses. I'm going to build a house for Elijah. I'll build a bigger house for you, Jesus, but I'm going to build a tabernacle for you too. And let's stay here for the rest of our lives. And all of a sudden, the Bible says Moses and Elijah disappeared. And they heard an audible voice from God. And God told them, this is my son. Keep your eyes on my son. Listen to my son. Don't worry about Moses. Don't worry about Elijah. Focus on Jesus. Well, now Jesus and the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are coming off the mountain. They're going back down into the valley. And that's where we pick up with our story right here in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, the other nine, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, come off the mountain, and they came to the other nine disciples that were left at the bottom of the mountain, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. So Jesus comes back to the nine disciples and they're sitting here arguing with the most experts of the law of that day. Like the scribes had the first five books of the Bible memorized all the way through. You know, we have verses today. They didn't have verses back then. We put those verses in so we can pinpoint where to go. They knew every jot and tittle. They knew exactly where every comma, where every mark was, all the way for the first five books. They were experts in the Mosaic law. And now here's these unschooled fishermen, carpenters, accounting, who does accounting and tax code. They're sitting there debating the most experts of that day. And they're going back and forth with all this stuff going back and forth. And all of a sudden, verse 15, immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. 
And then, they, then he asked Jesus, what are you arguing about with, look at this, don't miss this, them. So let's put this. I, listen, I'm telling you, if you will put yourself in the story, when you read the Bible, the Bible will come alive to you. So imagine you're a disciple and you're debating back and forth with all the scribes and all of a sudden the whole crowd runs away from you because they see Jesus and the other disciples coming off the hill. They run up to Jesus and you go, what's up, Jesus? What's going on? And Peter's like, you don't want to know what happened on the mountain. Man, I saw Moses and Elijah and it was awesome. And Jesus walks straight to the nine disciples and he says, why are you arguing with them? Now, when you hear them, don't you, don't you hate that when people say that? Well, them, they... You know, that's a complete division, right? And you're like, them. My wife, she'll say that all the time. She'll, she'll learn something. She says, well, they say. And I say, wait, wait, who's they? Pinterest. Okay, I mean, what? <laughs> who's they on Pinterest, right? Dr. Axe. Okay, now we got a they, right? Dr. Axe says that you should do this or whatever it may be, right? People say, oh, they said, they. And here's what you really find out sometimes about they. They's just only one person. Y'all thinking about all these haters you have, but they think I am and they think this. It's really just one person and they don't, and you don't even like them anyway. So quit worrying about them, okay? So he says, why are you arguing with them? Why are you arguing with the experts? And then let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Look what it says, verse 17. Some of the crowd answered him. Someone came to him and said, teacher, I brought my sons to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. He can't speak. And whatever or whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the demon, cast it out, the spirit, but they were not able to do it. Now, put yourself in the story. This man hears about Jesus, that Jesus heals people, that Jesus can perform miracles. He grabs his boy by the hand. We're going to find Jesus up in here. And he's walking around looking for Jesus. Anybody seen Jesus? Has anybody seen Jesus? I got my boy. I'm trying to find Jesus. He bumps into the disciples. They said, Jesus is up on top of the mountain, and he's got Peter, James, and John. They're up there. So he goes, well, could you heal my boy? And I love this. I don't know. I wasn't there. But in my mind, I can see Bartholomew, one of the disciples, go and says, I got this, boys. I got this. Step back, step back, step back. And he walks up, and I don't know what he did, but he's like, be healed, you know. <laughs> and it didn't heal him. And I can see Thomas. Thomas walks up. Man, it's all about the stance. It's about how you stand if you're going to heal people. Let me take a shot at this. And Thomas, I think, spoke, spoke with a squeaky voice. He's like, be healed. You know, I don't know. In my mind, I think Thomas has a squeaky voice. And he's like, be healed. And it didn't work. And then the next disciple. And then the next disciple. And all nine of them tried to cast out a demon, and the demon never left. And it did not work. And then Jesus, in verse 19, look what he says. He answered them. Who's them? Them, is he talking about the disciples? Or is he talking about the scribes? Look what he says. Oh, faithless. Oh, faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now, just glancing at this, you would assume he's rebuking the disciples for not having enough faith to cast out the Spirit. But that's not who he's talking to. You can see this in the context. Every time we see through the New Testament, they use the word, oh, faithless generation. It included every one of the religious leaders who were far from God, and the disciples were never included in it. So put yourself in the story. 
Jesus walks down and says, come on, guys, why are you arguing with them? And then all of a sudden, a, guy, a dad runs up and says, Jesus, listen, your disciples can't heal my kid. Could you heal my kid? Jesus ignores the dad and says, you faithless generation, how much longer do I got to be? How many more miracles do I got to perform to you to know that I am the Messiah? All while the dad is right here saying, boy, would you heal my son? And then look what Jesus says. He says this. He says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately fell and convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, and he foamed at the mouth. Now, please, put yourself in the story. Jesus goes to the disciples. Why are you arguing with them? Come on, man. Y'all know better than this. Don't argue with the scribes. Listen, every time you step out and follow Jesus, you're always going to have haters. Always. There's always going to be haters. And now the dad runs up and says, will you heal my son? And Jesus ignores him and says, you faithless generation. Then Jesus looks at the guy and says, go get your kid. Go get your kid. Go bring your kid to me. You faithless. I said, go get your kid. Go get your kid. You faithless. Go get him. You faithless generation. When are you going to believe? And the dad goes, gets the boy. And then the boy comes back. You can see the dad. He's bringing the boy. You're going to get healed, son. Jesus is in the house. And he brings the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, the spirit tried to kill the boy. Threw him on the ground. He's foaming at the mouth, which means this. Listen to me. When all hell breaks out in your, in your life, it's because Jesus is on the way. And see, some of you right now, you're thinking, why is my life like this? What's going on? I thought my life would be better. It's probably because the devil sees that Jesus is about to do something in your life. Some of y'all should have shouted amen right there. That's good stuff right there. And when he sees it, because now you're wondering, well, what's going on with my marriage? Because they see that Jesus is coming. And people and the demons start to flee and run because they don't want to see Jesus do great things in your life. And then verse 21, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? The father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to kill him, to destroy him. Now picture this, come on. I mean, it don't get no better than this right here, folks, right? I'm saying, Jesus, let's go through it one more time. Why are you arguing with them? You faithless, I said, go get your kid. You faithless generation, when are you going to believe? Here comes the kid. The kid is on the ground about to die. And Jesus looks at the father. So how long has he been like this? So how long has this happened to him? And then the father talks back. Well, there's this one time we went camping, Jesus, and the spirit tried to throw him in the fire, tried to kill him. It's crazy. We went down to the lake, down to the Jordan one day, and the Spirit tried to throw him in the water to drown him. The kid is dying. And Jesus is having a conversation. And then the father <laughs> says this, but if you can, but if you can do anything have compassion on us. And I'm here to tell you, this is where we live, is in this verse right here. But if you can. God, if you can, would you please save my spouse? God, if you can, could you please provide and put food on the table for my family this year as we trust you with the tithe? God, if you can, could you bring my kid home? They went AWOL, they went crazy. Could you bring them home? God, if you can, could you help me lose some calories and some weight this year, right? Come on now. If you can. If you can, if you can break me from this addiction, would you please help me? If you can fix my depression, if you can fix my anxiety, would you please? But if you can, this is where most of us live. I don't know if you can, but if you can. 
Would you heal me? And then Jesus, I love this in verse 23. Look what he says. Look at this. If you can. Do you know who I am? If you can. Do you think I can do this? Do you think I can heal your kid? And look what he says. All. Everybody say all. All. Things are possible for the one who believes, for the one who has faith, for the one who has trust. All things are possible. If God can resurrect his son from the dead, he can resurrect your marriage from the dead. If God can cast out demons, he can heal you of your illness. To anyone who can, all things are possible. Salvation is possible. All things are possible. And when you see the invisible, Jesus is like, I can do the impossible. Do you believe me? And then the Father, verse 24, and this is, this is it. This is the verse where the Father says, he prays, he cries out, I believe, but man, help my unbelief. I have faith. But man, I doubt. I think you can. I don't know if you will. What do you do when belief and unbelief coexist? Because it does right here in this story and in this verse. I call this imperfect faith. In fact, that's what I titled today's message. Imperfect faith. That my faith is not perfect. Because I have faith, but then I doubt. I believe, but then I don't. In the same breath. Has anyone ever been there before? I believe. I just don't know. Verse 25, Jesus saw the crowd come running over together, and he rebuked the unclean spirit. And he says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Real quick, belief and unbelief coexisted in the same breath and Jesus still performed the miracle. Jesus still healed him. Jesus still showed up. Verse 26, after crying out with convulsing to him terribly, it came out, it, the spirit came out and the boy was like a corpse. Most of them thought he was dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he arose. I know you see that, but let me tell you what, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's what he's done to you. On September 2nd, 1997, he grabbed me by the hand and he picked me up out of the muck and the mire in my life and he saved me and he changed me. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've been touched by Jesus. And he says in verse 28, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, because they were embarrassed, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we cast him out? I know you're up on the hill, Moses and Elijah, that's cool, but why can we not do this? And Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out, but anything, but prayer. So what do you do when belief and unbelief collide? What do you do when you have faith, but in the back of your mind, you still doubt? What do you do? What do you do? Well, I'm going to share with you what I've learned over the last few years of my own life. I'm going to walk you through this real quick. 
That was all an introduction. This is a sermon. <laughs> here's what I've learned. If you want to take to write this down, you can write this down. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. But here's what I've learned in my own life when I believe and I doubt. When I have faith, but I have unbelief. Here's what I've come to realize in my own life. My faith is in Jesus, not my faith. See, so many people, it's like, and I understand the theology behind it, and I get it where they come from it. But most people said, the reason why you didn't get healed is because you didn't have enough faith. As if I was putting my faith in my faith. My faith is not in my faith. My faith is in a person named Jesus who's the object of my faith. The author and the perfecter of my faith. So many of you right now going, God will fix me if I just have enough faith. God will heal me from my depression if I just have enough faith. God would help me with my anxiety if I have enough faith. God would bring my kid home and break this addiction if I have enough faith. It's not the amount of your faith. It's not how much of your faith. It's the placement of your faith. Who is it in? You know, my wife, from a kid into adulthood, is struggling with doubting her salvation. For years and years and years, into her, into her 30s, pastor's wife, doubting, did I have enough faith? Did I say the right thing? Did I believe enough? Did I, did I, did I have the right faith? Do I believe? Do I truly believe? And the Lord revealed some lies all the way through that and set my wife free. But the reality is this, she was putting her faith in her faith. And then the Lord showed her and reminded her when she was five years old, the little church camp, <laughs> when she cried out to the Lord that she put her faith in the object, which was Jesus. See, so many of us want to put faith in faith. You put your faith in Jesus, not your knowledge, not your church attendance, not your tithe or your offerings. You put your faith in faith. I mean, you put your faith in Jesus, who's the object of your faith. Here's something else I've learned. Faith is not an event, it's a journey. Faith is not a one-time event, it's a journey. You believe, keep believing. You declare, you keep declaring. Faith is a journey, step by step. He said, Lord, help me. And I'm gonna be honest with you, there's sometimes in my life I feel holy, I believe. But most time in my life, I feel human. I don't know if God's gonna do it. <laughs> I hope so, maybe so. I pray that He does. I don't know. And what I realize it's a journey. One day at a time. It's one step at a time. And this was another one that was big for me. As faith is measured in my genuineness, not in my certainty. And I know faith is the, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things I have not seen yet that I don't know for certain. And most people's like, well, if you have faith, you gotta be certain. It's not the certainty of my faith, it's the genuineness of my faith. We see it right here in this man. He says, I believe, certainty, help my unbelief. I don't know. And what happened is Jesus saw the genuineness of his heart. It's not the amount of faith you have. In fact, right after this, we see if you had faith of a mustard seed, something so small, it's not the amount, it's the genuineness. It's the heart behind it. And I love what he says. I believe, but you got to help me. 
See, I believe this much, but you got to help me get to this place. That word help means to assist. And here's what he's saying. Jesus, I've got faith. I don't know if I have enough faith. So here's what I need you to do. I just had this thought. I need you to be the surplus to my faith. Assist means to grab them by the hand and lead them to where they want to be, which is the mission of our church. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that you can have a real life, a more life, a better life than you ever dreamed of. He says, I'm here to you can have abundant life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy you and take away from you. But with Jesus, you always have a surplus. You always have more than what you need. And when my faith is low, Jesus says, come on, I will assist you, walk with you, and get you where you need to be. I believe, genuinely, man, I need you to help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And then lastly, faith brings Jesus into my circumstance. And watch this, and put hope in my situation. See, some of you right now, you're praying for God to change your circumstances. God says, I'm not trying to change your circumstance. I'm trying to change you. Do you believe? And when you have faith, what you just did, you just invited Jesus into your problem. And we, listen, we all have them. You bring Jesus into your problem. And watch this. When Jesus comes into your problem, whatever your problem is, figure out your problem. When Jesus comes into your problem, that gives me a hope that the situation will change. that He will come through in my life. And when belief, genuine belief, watch this, and genuine unbelief collide, you know what that should do within us? It should produce prayer. He says right here in verse 29, this kind can not be driven out by anything but prayer. What's prayer? I know talking to God back and forth, I get that. But really what's behind prayer? Prayer is the dependency upon God. And if you don't pray, what you're saying is, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Prayer says, I am not perfect, I am inadequate, and I depend upon you. In fact, the deeper your despair, the deeper your dependency will be on Him. And this is the reason why I believe the disciples could not cast out the Spirit. It's because they put their faith and their gifts in themselves, not in Jesus. What makes you say that? Because right after the story, guess what they do? The 12 disciples get together and they begin to argue who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And anytime you argue that you're gonna be the greatest, that means there's pride in your life. And anytime there's pride in your life, there's no dependency of God in your life. And the disciples believe they got this, I got this, and we don't need Jesus, you step on a mountain, we can heal this boy. But don't miss this. Who in this scripture and this message and this story prayed? The man did. When he hit his knees, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And God moved with faith and doubt together and still healed the boy. See, some of you are beating yourselves up so much right now because I believe, but man, sometimes I don't. I have faith, but then sometimes I doubt. So what do I do? Let's go back to how we started this message. Faith is the assurance of things not seen, 
but the convictions of things I hope for. And then it goes on in verse 6 in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then it says, by faith, Noah, and by faith, Abraham, and by faith, Moses, and by faith, Abel, and by faith, Sarah, and by faith, Rahab. And it goes through all this great hall of fame of faith, all these Old Testament saints. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 12, and it says this. It says this, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now run your race. Run your lane. See, that's the, that's the problem for most of us. We want to run somebody else's lane. You run your race that God set before you in 2019. Don't worry about everybody else's race. They got their own problems. You run your race. How do I do that? He says, get rid of the weights and get rid of the sin in your life. And then in verse 2, it's where we kick this whole entire time together off. Look what he says in Hebrews chapter 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of your faith. Do you know what you need in 2019? Your eyes on Jesus. I believe, but help mom, what do I do when faith and doubt collides? You keep your eyes on Jesus. What do I do when I believe that God can fix my marriage, but then I don't think He can fix my marriage? You keep your eyes on Jesus. What do you do when you believe that God can break this addiction, but you messed up and you don't know if you can do it? You keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what the enemy wants you to do, to get your eyes off of Him. What do I do when I'm depressed and I'm anxious? I think God can do it, but I don't feel like God can do it. You keep your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, which means he started it and he finished it. And if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, I know life's tough, keep your eyes on Jesus. I know he walked out, keep your eyes on Jesus. I know God didn't heal your grandma, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Man, work is tough right now, keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm struggling emotionally when no one's looking, keep your eyes on Jesus. I got a kid that's gone sideways and wayward and I just don't know really if God's gonna bring them home. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Man, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I don't know if God's gonna provide day to day for me. You keep your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of your faith. Folks, I'm just so naive to believe that belief that I can have imperfect faith. Listen, I'm encouraging you, put your imperfect faith in a perfect Savior who perfects this, who can do this. I'm just so naive to believe that if it happened in here, it can happen here. If it happened to them, it can happen to me. If it happened here, it can happen now. In your life, if you'll just keep your eyes on Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. here to encourage you for whatever circumstance situation I don't know I don't need to know but I do know this you can believe still doubt and God still shows up when your faith is genuine and some of you right now you're in some tough situations listen keep your eyes on Jesus 
some of you here, and you're like, man, I don't even know if I believe in this God thing. I mean, I believe a little bit, but I don't know if I really, I don't understand it all. I don't believe all the things about the Bible, but I believe that about it. I just don't know. Listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. And if he has spoken to you today, and you realize that you've never truly given your life to him, would you give your life to Jesus today? Listen, saying a prayer will not save you. But your lips can proclaim what your heart declares. And whether you're in the house or if you're watching online all over the world, if the Lord is speaking to you, will you give your life to Jesus today? You can cry out exactly like this man. Jesus, I believe. And where I lack faith, help my unbelief. Right where you sit, pray. Say, I believe you came for me, I believe you died for me, and I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today I'm choosing to trust you. And for you to forgive me of my sins, where well, I blow it. Now help me, help me, assist me to do whatever you ask me to do. I put my faith in you. Not my faith, my faith is in you. And if you're here, listen, you're here today. Kicking off the new year at church, that's awesome. We want to help you. We want to give you resources as you start this new year. we got some Bible reading plans. we got a gift we want to give you. If you'll make your way to the Red Room, if you prayed that with me, would you please stop by the Red Room and say, hey man, today I just want to let you know I, I prayed with Daniel and uh, gave my life to the Lord and he told me to come here. And they will give you a gift and they will help you get started and 2019. Father, thank you so much. We're going to believe that salvation has come to the house today. God, you know us, you made us, you formed us, you created us. You've set us apart to be holy, but God, you still know that we're human. We believe genuinely by faith, but God, then sometimes we doubt of this fallen world we live in. But because of your grace and your mercy, you pierce through all the veil and you look at our heart you see the genuineness of our heart when we believe and you save us you use us you change us you perform miracles and I have no idea what 2019 holds but Father we're going to seek you because you hold tomorrow in your hand and I don't know exactly all the situations that are happening right now but my prayer is that we will keep our eyes on you the author and the perfecter of our faith and Lord, we're going to believe and just declare that this is going to be the best year ever. And we're going to trust that you have great things in store for our church. You have great things in store for us individually. And the best is truly yet to come because we keep our eyes on Jesus. For it says, in his name we ask and we pray. Thank you for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. You can let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app available on any major platform. Lastly, if you're interested in supporting what God is doing in this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying that you have a great week and we hope to see you again soon.